Maybe not. Good morning. Everybody raise your hand as high as you can. Now raise it a little higher. Really? Did you catch that? I said raise it as high as you can. And then raise it a little higher. And all of y'all went higher. Just messing with you. And yet, isn't that how we live a lot of times? Just go, go, that's about as high as I can go un, until I need to go a little higher. So let's talk about going a little higher. Let's talk about, it's, it's um, been declared by Pastor the Year of Passion. How many, how many feel like you're living at um, the highest level of passion you can live at right now? Well, it's a good thing we're, we're only in March because... We got, we're not even a quarter of the way through the year, so we've got some, uh, some room to grow, and uh, what better room uh, to grow than to look into Scripture. So it's the fifth Sunday of Lent, um, and so as we walk with Jesus uh, uh, on His way to Golgotha, on His way to the cross, uh, and we experience uh, through, uh, actually right now, the, the series we're just experiencing through the lectionary passages... Uh, as Jesus gets closer and closer to uh, the, the time of His death, uh, and of course, after that, the time of His resurrection. So if you'll turn with me on your phones or in your Bibles to John chapter 12. Uh, let's read the first eight verses of John chapter 12, and uh, then we'll uh, tell a couple stories and be done. So John chapter 12 Beginning with the first verse, six days before the Passover, just a little comment, when you're reading in John, remember John 1, 1 begins with, in the beginning, which brings us back in our minds, if we're, um, if, if we're into Scripture, it brings us back to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning. So John's got this in mind, no doubt about it, you only open your, your writing with, in the beginning if you are going to try to get people to think of that. And so when you open a new story with six days before Passover, you remind people we're still talking about this new creation. We're still talking about this new work that God is doing. So six days before the Passover, six days of creation, six days of God doing this wonderful work that He's planned to do, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. I love the literal translation. Uh, Martha was ministering. Don't ever take service as some light on the side thing. In fact, we wouldn't have a story if there wouldn't have been someone serving because there would have been no supper. So Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at a table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let me say that again. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled. Everybody say filled. Everybody was filled. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume but one of his disciples Judas Iscariot who was later to betray him objected look at your neighbor and say I object 
Isn't that fun when somebody says that? It's like the funnest part of the courtroom drama, right? I object. Judas says, I object. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I, I know exactly how much that is worth, Judas says. And then John editorializes and says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. But the disciples didn't know that at the time, right? This is John writing several years later. At the time, according to Matthew, Matthew doesn't single out Judas. Matthew said some of the disciples complained. But John says, no, really, it was Judas. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. It's a really one of the most odd portions of the New Testament to translate that verse. Uh, some translations say she has kept this for the day of my burial. But there's something Jesus is making a point of bringing people's minds uh, to what is fixing to happen, what has already, in essence, begun to happen as he makes his way to Jerusalem. And he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Leave her alone. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I want to start by uh, reading a quote from a guy named Mike Iaconelli who started youth specialties and was the, the king of all kings when it came to youth ministry in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. But Mike Iaconelli said this, I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or laugh. Two stories. The first one's about a man named Walter Samasco Jr. He died at age 69. He was the kind of neighbor we would all love to have. He put cardboard in his windows to make sure nobody could see in. He asked the mailman to deliver the mail through a slot in the garage door so he wouldn't have to walk up to the front door or be on the porch. He lived a reclusive life and he died at age 69 and the only reason anybody knew that he had died was because they began to smell his something coming from his house. You know somebody's been dead a while. When you can smell them on the street. And so they called and the police came and brought a hazmat team. And before it was over, they actually had to cut out the floor where he had uh, fallen or had, had ended up laying when he died because he was stuck to it. And his body was so decayed and it was a nasty sight. But in doing so... They found underneath the floor the reason why he had been so reclusive. Walter had been saving up for the end of the world. Uh, when they brought in a, 
a special person to clean up the house and to try to sell it for whatever it was worth. Walter had no relatives that they could find. He had no children. Uh, They finally, after a a long effort, found a first cousin. Uh, But uh, they needed to get rid of the property and get on with everything, and so they brought in somebody to clean it up. And as uh, she started with her team going through, they began to find gold coins. Gold coins from Britain, gold coins from Austria, gold coins from South Africa. They found um, a a very significant portion of American uh, gold coins with the double eagle on it, like the $20 rolls. They found an old washing machine full, packed full of these gold coins. Under the floorboards in this house, just coins and they found $12,000 in cash, and, and they found uh, in, the, in the cabinets there were uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of cans of tuna fish, and then there were on the counter survival manuals, and they found guns and gas, gas masks, uh, and, uh, and they found uh, Johnny Mathis tapes, uh, the end of the world, um, so when it was all said and done, they went through the house like a fine-tooth comb, she said, and when it was all said and done, it took them three days to calculate the worth of all of this fortune that he had saved up, and it totaled seven million dollars. He saved up for the end of the world, and he died at age 69 with no friends, no family. No neighbors, nobody. Let me tell you another story. This story is not a, that was a true story, Las Vegas, not too long ago. This story comes to us from fiction writer Aesop Dennison. Not a true story, and yet such a true story. It's the name, Aesop Dennison, by the way, wrote Out of Africa, which you may Uh, have heard or seen the movie. She wrote a short story, and uh, it was called Babette's Feast. It was also turned into a movie, won the Academy Award in the late 80s for uh, Best Foreign Picture. And in in the story, she tells of these two sisters and their father, who is a Protestant pastor who grew up in Denmark, and uh, they are committed to this isolated community of people uh, with the characters that you can imagine would live in, a, in an aging, isolated community off a of fjord in Denmark. And um, so many things going on in, in, in the church and with the people and long-harbored resentment and, and troubles and, and yet these long relationships and friendships. And so these two sisters and their dad are growing up and the two sisters as they grow up, they have opportunities to leave the town, but... They never take those because they're committed to their father. They love their father and they're committed to this, this parish. And so they uh, commit themselves to stay and to be there. And uh, one day they get a knock on the door and it's this French woman named Babette. And Babette is uh, a refuge from the French Civil War. And uh, she is looking for a place and she begs them, can I come in? Can I be your, ha- your maid, your housekeeper? Can I be... Uh, you know, your cook, and they reluctantly uh, allow her uh, to, to come on and to help them. And 
They live such a frugal life because they desire to help and their, and their desire to, to give what they have to help the people in this community that a lot of times, in fact, majority of the time, their dinner consists of just this bland fish soup because it's the easiest and the cheapest thing to have in, in order to be able to survive and to help the people in the church. But Babette comes along and, and she comes in and uh, so they, they harbor reservations about her because... First of all, she's a French woman, and they've heard lots of things about French people, but also because she's a Catholic, and uh, that is a, a very different, this is in the 1800s, the 19th century, when uh, um, there's uh, still a lot of, uh, of ill will between Protestants and Catholics in parts of Europe, and so reluctantly, but, but agreeably, they allow her to come in, and so she spends the next decade or so, working with them, helping them, and getting to know them. And in the meantime, the father, the pastor, passes away. And the girls are very sad, and this is a, just a crude retelling of the story, but for time's sake, they, they come to the 100th anniversary of his birth, and they had always desired to throw this dinner in honor of him, but they're not sure whether or not, but but they feel like he would be looking down on them from heaven and disappointed if they didn't throw this dinner. So they decide to throw the dinner and Babette gets word of it and she, she goes to the sisters and she says, will you please allow me to throw this feast? Will you please allow me to do it um, and, and to cook the food and, uh, and to do it in honor of your father? And they're not sure about it, but they finally, very reluctantly, agree. And word gets out. Uh, to the to the townspeople and especially to the church folks, to the ones that will be invited in this very small congregation, the ones that they're all going to come. But they realize that she's a French, she's a Catholic, uh, and uh, so they will allow her to prepare and to serve the food, but the church people decide we will not enjoy it. <laughs> we'll go, we'll, we'll honor your father, but we refuse... Uh, to enjoy the dinner. We, we won't allow our faces even to express, uh, uh, e- even if we like some of the food, we won't allow it to be known, to be seen, because that, just, that, that, that wouldn't be um, what we want to do to encourage uh, her to do this again. What the people don't realize, the sisters find out in the, in, the, in the story, that Babette has always played, she said, I've always played these numbers in the lottery, in the French lottery, and I, I play them every year, and someone back has been playing, and so a piece of mail arrives, and she's never gotten mail in the decade or more that she's been there, she's never gotten mail. She gets a piece of mail, and they're very interested, of course, as the mail shows up, and she opens a letter, and she tells the sisters, uh, this, this individual has been playing my numbers every year and my number turned up and I've won 10,000 francs in the French lottery, which at the time was an exorbitant amount of money to win. And uh, so they're amazed. And so she goes off to back to France to claim her uh, lottery winnings uh, and she returns uh, with the stuff that she has decided to to use she's got they don't realize it at first but she's got china and she's got linens and she's got 
the foods and the spices that she wants in order to throw this feast. And so she begins preparation and finally to fast forward the day of the feast comes and the and the church people gather and everyone sits down and the table is immaculately spread and um, they begin the first course and a young boy comes out to fill the glasses and uh, the there's aromas in the room and they can smell the the food that's being prepared and then when he pops the cork they smell this this wine and uh, in words that I can't even use, but you can look up later, it's, it's freely available on the web. They, they, they begin and they take a drink and their first taste of the first glass of wine is almost too much for them to handle. Because they realize this has to be the oldest, the best that we've ever tasted. And then she begins to bring out the courses and as they begin to eat, they cannot but express with their faces and with their tongues, uh, how good this food and drink is. And Babette serves uh, the most amazing feast that they've ever had. And the astonishing thing that happens, uh, unintended consequence of this is as they, as they get more comfortable and express and as they begin to hash out, they, relationships are healed, old wounds are are. are, are are made whole and relationships, new relationships are begun and all of these, these ill wills that were harbored and all of these, these past uh, uh, mistakes that had happened are, are washed over and this feast becomes this very, uh, this very illustration, if you will, of what the church should have always known God had desired of them. And so after the feast, everybody's amazed and so complimentary and everything. And the sisters begin talking to Babette. And uh, they begin saying, well, we know now that you've prepared this. This was so amazing and we'd, we'd so love for you to stay with us. But we're sure you're going back to France now and you've got your winnings and everything. And, and she looks at them and she says, I have, I have no winnings. And they say, well, what do you mean? You, you won 10,000 francs. And she looks at them and she says, I spent it all on the feast. And obviously this is the end of the story, at the end of the story, and they're, they're flabbergasted. They don't, they don't know how to respond they, because they realize. And she said, and, and they say, well... This, this was so much, in, and we know you did this all for us. And she said, what do you mean? She said, this was, this was for me. I had, I had to do this, in essence. And Babette's Feast becomes, and, and the, uh, if, you, if you don't want to read the story, watch the movie. It's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing story and, and told very faithfully to the, to the original writing. Babette's feast comes to us as this illustration of what it means when somebody becomes so passionate and so, so filled with this desire that I've got, to, I've got to express my gratitude and I've got to express not only my gratitude, but I've got to express the things that, that God has put in me. They find out after they've, they've talked to her, she says, I was actually the, the top chef at the 
renowned Café Anglais. And they realize that she spent the last decade holding all of these gifts and all of these talents in, waiting for that moment where she could express. And in her expression, in her expression of just pouring out her gifts, it brings healing and it brings wholeness. And it's such an incredible picture of the grace and the mercy of God. And we get this picture of Mary, and she's got what Judas lets us know. It's worth a year's wages. It would take a year. So, let's say, just for argument, that in our society, let's go low, that this bottle of perfume, this ointment, this pure nard that she has is worth, let's just say, $15,000. And Jesus is in her house, and Mary comes to Him, knowing, knowing that somebody is going to ridicule her for this. Somebody's going to criticize her. And she breaks the seal and she pours that. Other, other passages say she poured it on his head and it flowed down. John just says she poured it on his feet and then began to wipe with her hair. Her hair should have been up in her culture, but her hair was down And it's as if this woman said, I don't care what anybody thinks about this. I have to give, I have to pour out to this man for whom my heart, in John 11, just the chapter before, right, we've read about the raising of Lazarus. And maybe it's out of pure gratitude for that, but something tells me that it's more than this, that she's been waiting for this moment, for this time. It's appointed... And, and Jesus uh, allows her to do what the disciples, and especially Judas, want to ridicule and criticize her for. And yet she does it, not caring what's going to happen. Trusting that Jesus is going to make this situation, and not even real, that He's going to make it alright, and not even realizing that this is carrying more weight. But I don't want to get into it. There's so many angles to take this story from. But I just want to look at, at that, that idea that Judas brings up that, well, this was worth this much and could have been used for this. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, there's not enough to go around, and so what, what little we do have, we have to execute well. And it's not such a horrible state of mind until you realize that there's such a better state of mind that we can live in. And that's Mary saying, I don't know how long it has taken me or how long it will take me to again save up for this, uh, but I know that what Jesus has done is worth everything. I've got a, a, a friend who's a pastor and he's going through a lot of changes in his church right now, trying to lead them into a, a, a refocusing on reaching the lost Already many people have left, and there's probably several more that will leave, but at the same time, many have come. And uh, he was telling me a few months ago about the different uh, uh, habits that he would love to see created among his people, and one of those habits is uh, to uh, uh, be generous. 
And so he basically says it that way and as he's listing and he says, uh, we live a life of generosity. And he told me when he said that, he said, what I really wanted to say is, you give away almost everything. But I figured that would scare even more people, so we just went with live a generous life. But Mary has this mindset, there's more where that came from. Hit your neighbor and say, there's more where that came from. Judas says, there's not enough to go around. And watch, in response, when Judas's mindset is there's not enough, the opposing mindset, the alternative mindset is not there's enough. That mindset is there's more. There's more. There, so, my challenge to you today and, and I want to I bring it from Mark. If, if, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there, but you don't have to. But it's something you've probably heard many times. But let's, let's finish with this. Jesus said to them, do you bring... This is Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Do you bring it in to, to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to ears, ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. Listen, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has, and this has always confounded me to an extent, but I'm, I'm just slowly starting to understand. Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And I'll admit, maybe you're there with me, when I hear that, it doesn't sound fair. It sounds like Jesus says that in one of the other Gospels after he's told the parable of the talents. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken and I thought well that's that's awfully rude because not all of us have as much as somebody else in the parable of town somebody had 10 somebody had five somebody just got one and so why would you why would you take that little bit that somebody has and and I'm starting to see that that's not at all what Jesus was meaning that's not at all what Jesus was saying have and have not are a state of mind Let me say it one more time because it's transformative. Somebody who has and somebody who does not have, it's all about their mental state. We've all heard stories. We can tell stories about the people who, who the, the, the family in the congregation who everybody looked at as the poorest family and yet when they took up an offering, they were offended because... They never saw themselves as poor. And story after story, have and have not are a frame of mind. It's, a, it's an attitude. And so I think what Jesus is saying is that Mary has something. She, she sees herself as possessing something. And, and the actual physical perfume is just a small thing compared to the size of gratitude and the extravagant love that she has toward 
Jesus, her master, her teacher, her Lord. Judas uh, carries the money bag, and John seems to intimate that he helps himself uh, to what's inside sometimes. And he's calculating and he's always thinking in balance sheet terms. And Judas, for some reason, even though he has something, he doesn't feel like he has anything. And so in the frame of reference between the haves and the have-nots, Jesus says this isn't about what you actually possess because I can take a few fish and a few loaves and turn them into enough to feed a multitude what you have or what you do not have is a faith and, a, and a, something deep inside of you, a passion that calls out to me. And so he says, those that have it, they'll be given more. And you've all, you, we've all met those people that we want to be like. Well, how do you have faith and how do you have such trust? How do you have such peace in your life? And it, it's because they found... That when you have, it doesn't have anything to do with your physical possessions. It doesn't have anything to do with the the things that you can hold on to. It has to do with a relationship and a connection and a passion for God that goes beyond anything you can actually possess in this world. And Jesus says, those who have, they get more. And you say, well, how is that fair? How is that right? Because it just comes to It just comes to them because God is willing. He's seen their faithfulness with whatever they started with. And He wants to give. But but those who do not have. He says even what they have will be taken. Well, but I thought they didn't have. Jesus seems to be saying that's exactly the point. They actually did have something, but they didn't know they had something. They They felt like they had been shorted. They felt like the odds were against them. They felt like what... Just, just this little bit, it wasn't anything to actually have. And so it's taken from them. Why? Because they don't think they have it anyway. And if we could, at Life Church, if we could as Christians just begin to allow ourselves to believe that, that our relationship with God and our passion toward God and therefore our relationship with others and our passion toward others is not based on the physical things that God has given us. It's not based on what we're able to put our arms and our hands around. But it's based on this great, amazing salvation that God has offered us. These gifts and talents that He's placed within us. Right? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? but loses his soul. And by by increasing in your mind the value of all your earthly assets, you devalue the assets that God's given you that you can't put a finger on. But it's internal. And so whoever has, well, they get more. Why? Because there's there's this flow from God. And He's like, I want to give you more grace because I see how gracious you are. But whoever does not have even what they have because God's not willing to watch His grace go into a puddle and just sit there. And so God says, I'll take that. I've got somebody over here who can use that for my glory. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe at the home, at the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, we find one of the keys to a flourishing life, to a flourishing church, to a flourishing Christian bride. And it's the willingness to give as freely as we have received. 
The willingness to realize that it doesn't feel like, it may not feel like we have lots to give. But I'll give everything I've got. Everything I am for your kingdom, God. All the talents. I don't want to wait until I've gotten a certain level of education or I've gotten a certain level of comfort. I want to give everything I am, God. I'm willing, uh, all of this stuff I've been, I'm not waiting for the end of the world. We're not hunkering down like Walter, hoping uh, that, that we're prepared when the end of the world, because the truth is, uh, he was prepared for the end of the world. He wasn't prepared uh, to begin his life. And so as we stand today, I, I, just wanna, I just want to tell you that there's more. More than you can imagine. And a lot of times the failure of the church is a failure of imagination to believe that we can ask big things from God and He will give them to us. James said you don't have because you don't ask. So why not start asking for big things? Why not start saying, God, I'm not sure if this talent is enough, but I'm going to use it completely for Your glory. I don't know if this, I don't know if this, this cash that I've been saving is, is enough to, to, to really make a difference, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, going to let it out of my hands. I don't know if, if all of the things that I've been through in my life are enough to prepare me, but I'm going to go ahead and trust that you can do something with it. And there will be criticism, but Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave them alone. Because what she's doing has value that, that she doesn't even realize. And I wonder if maybe in life, church, you've got value within you that you have no clue how valuable it really is. And God's challenging you. Give it away. Give it. Give it to me. I'll do something grand with it. Give it to me. I have determined in my life, and it's taken a long time, to get me there, for God to change my mind and my heart, but I've determined I do not want to be like Walter. I want to be like Babette. I want to be willing to say, God, everything I've got. I'll gladly steward whatever you give me. And I'm not mostly talking about cash and possessions. The biggest thing that we have to steward is the message of grace through Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to hold that in. I'm going to give it out. So I wonder if right now you could pray with me. Maybe you need to pray out loud. But you could just pray with me. God, let, let me be a steward of Your grace. Let me be someone who doesn't just hold in what You've done for me. But Lord, I want to tell my story. I want to reach out to other people. There might be somebody hurting like I was hurting before I found You. And God, please don't allow me to walk by them. Please don't allow me to eat lunch with them in the break room. Please don't allow me to see them in my neighborhood and not share with them the glorious grace that has transformed my life. Lord, I want to see that I have so much. You've given me so much. And God, I just want to give that away so I'm a conduit now for Your blessings. Lord, flow through me with the knowledge and the wisdom. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Oh, the riches that He has. And so God, would You allow us to become a church where people 
Lord, can feel Your grace. They can smell the aroma that we've given everything. We've laid down our lives before You. And Lord, as we come, Lord, in a couple weeks to Easter to celebrate resurrection, Lord, as we walk through these days, would You help us not to be afraid to share our story with someone else. Lord, to reach out to others, to believe that just like You changed us, You can change others. And God, I believe, will transform our neighborhood, our community. Lord, I believe Life Church will be, Lord, a candle that is not hidden, but will be a light for all to see, a city set on a hill. Lord, because we have, we are not have-nots, we have so much that You've given us. God, we give it all to You right now. We give it all to You right now. Maybe you're right now, you just need to say, you know what, I need to give my life. I've given it before, but I feel like I've been holding it. I held my hand up this high, and I said it was as high as I, I could go, but I can actually reach higher. And maybe that's your life right now, and I wonder if right now you wouldn't just be willing to step out and say, you know what, I'm, I, I just want you to pray with me. We've got pastors here. We want to pray with you because we believe uh, that this matters, that this is transformative power that we're talking about when we talk about the Word and the Spirit of God. And so maybe it's you right now that just needs to lift a hand and say, I'm willing I'm willing to give my life. Uh, or maybe somebody you just feel like you've been holding back and so this is a rededication right now. Father, I thank You for every person that's willing to stick a hand up and say, you know what? I want to give more than I've given. I don't want to hold on to my, to my talents and my, my gifts any longer. I want to let it all out. Lord, I pray that they would feel Your Spirit right now. I feel like there's somebody here that you, need, you, you just need to give yourself in prayer. And you're, you're welcome to come down. But as they sing right now, maybe it's you that needs to just push in a little farther and say, you know what? I'm going to give everything. I'm going, to tr- I'm, I'm going to give myself completely because God gave Himself completely for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.